This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me today is the founder of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself. He's back, y'all. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Tried to get rid of me, but I just keep on coming <laughs> back. Ain't no games being played up in here. Nah, nah, bro. No, bro. No, bro. You got this fancy position now. You can't be talking that reckless. You can't be hello, talking hello, spicy hello, on well. the mic, man. <laughs> <laughs> bro, it's good to have you back, man. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. We've been in touch, but it's good to be back on the mic. Of course, absolutely. I was gonna say you 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 came back like Goku out of the medical machine. Here we go. You watch Dragon Ball Z? You watch Dragon Ball Z, right? Nah. nah. Goku got injured with Frieza and then he had to fight him in his final form, so he had to go into the medical machine. Okay. Never For mind. the rest of our listeners, I, we're glad you tuned I in. I heard you snore. I heard you snore. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is you back like you never left, man. Listen, it's important to say for those of you, most of you I know you listen to every episode twice and you take notes. But of here's course. the thing. And they subscribe. For those of you who have skipped, absolutely. And you and you support us at patreon.com forward slash pastor Mike. But for those of you who have not listened to this episode a few months back, I feel like it's a few months back or was it just a month? I don't know. Time. What is time in a pandemic? Jamar has transitioned out of his CEO role into a new role. And I got to get you to say the full title because every time you say this, it gives me another excuse to gas up the fact that you got this job. So <laughs> what's the full title, bro? Yeah. So the full full title, I almost never say, but it's Senior Academic Researcher and Assistant Director of Narrative and Advocacy at the Center for Anti-Racist Research. At Boston University. See, I threw that last part in. See, <laughs> see? You threw me the alley, so I was like, I'm going to dunk that. Bro, that's exciting, man. And so now you've moved into the founder role here at The Witness, but you still going to bless us on the mic, bro. You still going to be the official co-host of Pass the Mic. That's not changing. That's a big deal, man. It's a very big deal, and I'm glad y'all let me stay on board. Uh, but but real talk, I believe that the conversations we have here, especially led by you directing the conversations and the content, is really at the forefront of dialogue on religion and race in our day. So you know, so often when I tune in to the podcast, even when I'm on the mic, I'm learning from you and our guests as we go. So it's nothing but a pleasure, a privilege, and an honor to stay on in this capacity. Yeah. And I think it really, it's it's important for people to hear like, you know, yes, Jamar could do a thousand other things, but the work that we're doing here is so important from the standpoint of being a Black Christian collective. And we don't just say that, and we don't just, you know, use that as some cute terminology in our, lang- in our lingo or our language, but it actually means something to us. 
And we don't just have collective members who are on staff at The Witness or who have massive platforms, but it's all these phenomenal emerging writers that are writing for the blog at thewitnessbcc.com. It's all the people that we interact with. It's the people who who share at, at panels and conferences, who are podcast guests. Any Black Christian who is doing the work that we're doing and advancing this idea, figuring out what it means for Black Christians to be free in soul and in body, you're a part of the collective too. And so I think it's important for people to see that. And Jamar, you're actually modeling that by continuing to work with us in a different capacity. So big ups to you, man. I'm excited for, for the future. Yeah, the future is now, bro. The, the the conversations keep going, even though, you know, individually may, we may have different transitions in our lives. We got a lot to talk about. And I'm really excited about what uh, the BCC and the foundation are doing and what's happening on past the mic. So, yeah. Let's get it in. Look, man, I was in this executive team meeting at The Witness. I was in one of, see, listen, we have a schedule, so we'll say it's an hour-long meeting, but it goes a little bit longer because we just be laughing and joking once we're supposed to be done. And they were like, you know what? Y'all haven't done a Leave Loud episode on Pastor Mike. And I said, what are y'all talking about? Y'all ain't listened to the previous seven, eight episodes. We talked about all our stories. We had part ones and part twos and Jamar's episode went viral and probably going to win an award. Hint, hint, hint. You know, and I'm just like, man, you know what? What are y'all talking about? They said, you haven't done a What is Leave Loud Explainer podcast. And so I'm like, yo, that's so true. We just launched into Leave Loud. We made some little comments but we haven't really explained the origin of what started. So I think we should give them the official Leave Loud explainer. And this all started in 2018 when the New York Times published an article by a writer named Campbell Robertson. And this article was about the quiet exodus of Black Christians post the 2016 election. And Jamar, I think you were the one who shared this with me, right? I think so. I remember reading it and my response was just, this is our story. So Campbell Robertson, journalist at the, writing for the New York Times, wrote this article called uh, A Quiet Exodus about Black Christians leaving their predominantly white, mainly evangelical church spaces. And it was directly tied to the Trump era, the Trump presidency, Trump administration, and everything that white evangelicals had shown us about topics from race to broader topics of justice to politics, and this sense that so many of us had, who had really invested in this thing, who had committed our time, our energy, our prayers, our families to being part of these fellowships and congregations, the sense of betrayal, the sense of being ignored and overlooked, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the sense that finally enough was enough and we had to go but we did so quietly. We sort of, you know, mm -hmm. walked quietly out the side door or the back door. We did door. a little Baptist finger. Little yeah, Baptist as you said, put up the one finger. <laughs> put up the one finger, like, excuse me, pardon me. And, 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 and that's such a good illustration because it's like, I don't want to interrupt. I don't want to disrupt. I'm just going to make my way out. But mm -hmm. over time, things have changed. Yeah. And it's so, it's so fascinating because right at the same time, we were having these conversations on the podcast about this article. There was something stirring in us. And a lot of this wasn't just because of the external factors of whiteness or white supremacy or any of those things. It was something internally because our community was having a conversation 
and that's something people don't understand about the podcast and about the work that we do. The work that we do at The Witness is not just national work. It's local work. It's relational work. It's family work. And at the same time, we're having this national conversation. I'm starting to have countless you know, calls and texts and emails and Zoom calls with Black Christians across the country who are just reaching out and saying, I want to leave and I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to leave. I just have to get out of this space because this space is not leading to flourishing and this space does not allow me to be free in my soul and my body. So I think it's something important for people to understand that this is not just an externally motivated campaign. It's also something that is internally spiritually motivated by the spirit, this Kairos moment that's within us that motivates us to say, now is the time. (laughs) Today is the day. We have to go. We have to leave immediately. So all these things are happening. And then you, me, and Ali are in this text thread and group chats are the best. Group chats are a ministry. They're healing if you're in the right one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. And you said something in passing and it really gripped all of us. I felt the heavens open up. The Hammond B3 organ played. (laughs) (laughs) Fred Hammond came down and started singing a run in falsetto. What What did you tell us? What was that text? We were we were having a conversation about all this stuff, the national conversation and the local relational conversation. And what did you say in that moment? I said, it's time to leave loud. And I can't even look, remember the full context of it. <laughs> we got to st- You said, look, because this is the, I, I remember how I felt. It felt like the word of the Lord. You yeah. said, we, we, we keep talking about this quiet exodus. But I think it's time to leave loud. And the way I, I'll never forget how you said, I will never forget how you said that. I literally felt my soul leap. Mm. And you know, you do the reactions and the gifts and yeah. the memes in the text thread itself. But bro, I felt like that was God spoke to you in that moment and gave you a word for now. Hmm. 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 It felt like, like you, like you often say, a, a Kairos moment. And I am big on context, right? Like I'm trained as a historian and and what we do is try to flesh out the circumstances around historical events, individuals, all of that stuff. But I don't think context is just for understanding the past. I think context is for understanding the present too. Yeah. And when yeah. you look at what's happening, not just what happened, what what is still happening right now as we record this. Of course, we had a presidency that was all kinds of revealing, didn't really create anything new, but highlighted it, mm-hmm. right? This is going to be an abstract analogy, but it's the, the thing I thought of. If you got an old Nerf ball, you know, it's painted, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the coloring is painted on the outside, but it's soft. And, and, and if it's old, it's been outside, maybe it's, you know, uh, uh, faded by the sun, whatever, and you squeeze that Nerf ball there are these tiny little cracks that when you squeeze it, become much bigger and much more apparent. Hmm. And you can trace it and you can look at it and you can see all of the cracks in the paint. And that's what the Trump presidency did. There were all these fault lines. There were all these cracks in the church. What he did was put a vice grip on what we called the church and showed the cracks and the fault lines, exposed them much more clearly so that we had to deal with them. But that wasn't all, right? Like we've got the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. 
This is this is a slow burn mm-hmm. from 2012 mm-hmm. with the the, the yeah. murder of Trayvon Martin to 2013 with the acquittal of his killer, which which birthed the hashtag that that didn't become part of the national conversation till August 2014 with the killing of Mike Brown and then the sort of burgeoning national and even international movement of Black Lives Matter, which of course white evangelicals are you know pulling their hair out. Oh, it's the, the the worst thing that ever happened, <laughs> right, right? How right. can you say that? Right. Well, all lives matter, all that stuff, right? That's happening. You got you got you got domestic terrorists going into black church Bible studies and murdering yes. people. Yes. So so I mean, it seems like ages ago, right? Like this is before the pandemic, all this stuff. But all of this is 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 happening at a confluence. And it is what's happening is, and I keep saying this. I believe the Lord in this season is sifting the church in the United States. Yes, yes. Sifting the church in the sense that that let's be honest, there was there were seasons in the not too distant past when you could sort of gloss over some of these justice issues, gloss mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. some of these differences, kind of go along to get along or minimize the depth of the differences. But again, that confluence of events in God sifting the church means that people are having to declare themselves. Right. They're, they're having right. to declare themselves more publicly and more clearly than we've seen in the recent past. And that has been very illuminating as to the congregations and the fellowships and the Christian groups that we were part of and what they really believe about yeah me as a black person yeah and, and i think even you mentioned 2012 and kind of the subsequent black lives matter movement and the rise of of this I, I think there's also something to be said for the obama elections being very important tipping points yeah for many black christians and i i told this story and leave loud but you know even we we just recently recorded an interview with dr anthea butler on her book, White Evangelical Racism. And she talks about how the year 2000 changed so much in our conversations around race and justice and the racism that was present in white evangelical spaces that was going unchecked, right? Because the 90s were this low period. We were like, oh, everything's fine. You know, after Rodney King, we're like, oh, everything's fine, right? And I I think there was such a tipping point in even the Obama elections that how they were talking about the family, how they were talking about the children, what they were saying, the smear campaigns, the birtherism, all this, it doesn't just arise from the ground. And so it's hilarious when people say, oh, you're talking about this, you're talking about that, you're just creating something new, you're sowing division. Have you not seen? Have you not heard? Have you not felt? Have you not cried? Have you not wept? And so I think for all of us who have an embodied theology, who don't just have a cognitive understanding of Jesus, but we know Jesus for ourselves, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We're sitting back saying, how do you not see that there is a change? How do you not see the tectonic plates shifting in the church? And that's what produced this this campaign. That's what produced this content focus that we call Leave Loud. And I have to say something about Leave Loud because I think people have missed it. When the episode came out with Jamar, and I hesitate to even talk about this because it's going to be perceived a certain way, 
and I'm, I, you know, I'll probably try to write an article or something that explains more about this. But when the episode came out with Jamar, it was it was an important moment. It was an inflection point. But I think I think we missed something that we at the witness really want to stand in the expansive Black Christian tradition. And so when Jamar and I, we've kind of coined that that terminology, the expansive Black Christian tradition. And what that means for us is we want to stand in the line of Black Christians who have come before us in three key areas, specifically three key sections, I should say, specifically Black churches and the historic Black church, um, Black faith activists um, in the public square, and then also the faithful representation of Black Christians in majority white spaces or white evangelical adjacent spaces. And what a lot of people missed is that Leave Loud is about Black Christian resistance. Leave Loud is about what we do when the situations and the circumstances become too much and we cry out to God for deliverance and liberation. Leave Loud is about Black Christian resistance first. Okay. Mm. Uh, and and I, I'm, I'm not saying anybody else, it, it just happened so quickly. People are like, oh, this, uh, look at this. I'm leave loud for us. And people, then people said, stay loud. And be, I'm just like, <laughs> I didn't hear I'm the like, stay guys. loud part. That's huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, that's, it's, it was a hashtag. God bless them. Mm. And it's not me shooting at them. It's really not. I'm just saying, hey, do y'all realize that this is about black Christian resistance? And I'll say this for Black Christians. I'll try to keep us centered in this conversation. But we have to have space to lead movements, not just to be commented about in service to the majority of Christianity. So what was being done is that Leave Loud, which is a Black Christian movement of resistance, it is a declaration for us, to us, from us. What happened is Leave Loud became a litmus test on a referendum. Well, what does it say about the church? What does it say about white evangelicals? What? So you start to see people doing the exact thing that forces us to leave loud. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I'm really not shooting at it. I'm just saying I, I need people to understand this. This is about Black Christian resistance first. And we love all the adjacency. We know that people of color will be able to identify with this. And that is great, and we welcome that. But, but for our, for white Christian brothers and sisters and family members, be careful about gentrifying mm. when you should be learning. Mm. We we don't need to, we don't need our stories to be commented on and then be placed in this broader context of well, what does this mean for for white Christians and white churches? What does this mean for Black Christians? Mm. What does this mean for us? Yeah, can we be the center? Can we have anything? Can we be the center of the conversation? And again, it's it's not to say that there's not overlap in other movements and it cannot be extended to white Christians. That is not what I'm saying. And it, you don't have to apologize. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is it is about the, the ethos, the essence, the DNA is Frederick Douglass. There's a Christianity of the land and a Christianity of Christ. The land, I don't identify with that. Hmm. It's Christ. No, 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 no. It's Fannie Lou Hamer. It's Ida B. Wells. It's Howard Thurman. It's Sojourner Truth. It's these people. (laughs) It is not just a broader sense of, oh, well, we should go to a place that values us. Hmm. 
just like our foremothers and forefathers did. We stand in that tradition. We stand in that heritage. And so I have to say that because I think the essence is being missed. It is not just simply, I, and, and, and here's, here's the truth. Now I'll pass it back to you tomorrow. I'll pass the mic and I'll be quiet. Um, I probably should go on mute, <laughs> but here's the thing. <laughs> this is what people come to expect from us. But here's the thing. If you, if you flatten this, a black Christian resistance movement, a moment of liberation, a clarion call for deliverance, if you flatten this to be the overarching clarion call for all other people groups, you miss the diversity and you miss the complexity and you miss the layers that other people can bring to this conversation. I can't say it like my Latin American brothers and sisters can. I can't say it like my Asian American brothers and sisters can. I can't say it like my indigenous brothers and sisters can. I can't say it like women can. I can only say it from my, from my space. And so we have to be careful in using this as some broad, expansive tool that is going to be, you know, seen as, oh, this is, this is everything that people, this is exactly what the church needs here. It may be, but it is first a word for black Christians. It is first a word for us. And that is what we're declaring. Okay. To you <laughs> this is I'm, good. I'm chilling. I'm chilling. As, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking of ways to wrap my mind around it because what you're speaking to is so historical, is so contemporary, it's so urgent. And so a couple of things come to my mind. Um, one thing that we've often said is that specific doesn't mean exclusive. Um, specific doesn't mean exclusive. So, so, so we are mm-hmm. a yeah. black Christian collective. And there's specificity in that. We're not the multi-ethnic, you know, coalition of all peoples collective. We we are the we are the black Christian collective. At the Witness Foundation, we are supporting black Christian leaders. It's specific. Why is it specific? Because everything you just said, Tyler, there are nuances, there are experiences, there are memories and cultures that are specific to black communities that cannot be it's 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 almost like it's almost like speaking a a a a different language or a different accent accent you can approximate it but unless you grew up in it you won't sound natural with it and it doesn't mean you can't learn from it, it doesn't mean you can't even learn to speak it or 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 to get close to it it just means there's a different tone and a different tenor when that's what you're, what you're steeped in, mm-hmm. you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so, so we don't want to lose the specificity, which also honors other groups that yes. that that were not that are not included in the specificity of one particular organization, right? So, that means we don't want to speak on behalf of people of Asian descent and their experiences. Yeah. Can we yeah. come alongside? Can we support? Can we learn from each other? Always. Absolutely, but Always. it's not the same. It's not the same. And and here's the problem. We lump all kinds of diversity into this big diversity bucket and then Which lose. is a function of white supremacy. Come on. Yeah. 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 So 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 there there's that, right? So leave loud is specific and it harkens back to historic movements that are similar. So we are in the stream of uh 
you know, Richard Allen and the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Yeah. We're in yes. the stream yes, we of uh, Elias Camp Morris and the National Baptist Convention. We're yes. in the stream of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Richard Seymour and, uh, and uh, uh, the, the, the birth of the, you know, modern Pentecostal movement, right? So, yeah. Yes. This is this is not without precedent. <laughs> Absolutely. And it tends to happen in historical eras when there is acute racial persecution and and division. And we've Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also want to say one more thing before we get into kind of some FAQs here that people are like, what that we, we get the same questions in a recurring sense. Um leave loud. And again, I'm saying this as a pastor, okay? Leave Loud is not primarily for pastors. Now, pastors certainly have intersections, but the most prominent examples of people leaving loud have typically been Black pastors, ministry leaders, those working in majority white spaces, and then they leave, and then it's a big deal. We want to reach the pews, not just the pulpit. We care about Black Christians, not just Black Christians with platforms. We care about the everyday Black Christian who is wrestling, the Black women who are dealing with racism in their white evangelical church or institution, and on top of that, dealing with misogynoir as well. We're talking about the Black men who are being used and tokenized in their spaces and in their their ministry workspaces and in their college ministries, but who are not allowed to fully flourish, who are given tokenized positions, but not really allowed to shape the future of the organization. We're talking about teenagers who are in youth groups that where racism festers because no one calls it out and their parents haven't discipled it out. These are the people we're talking. This mm. this is who we're talking about. We are not just talking about pastors and ministry leaders who make the decision to leave. That is wonderful, and yes, they they certainly fit in this. But a lot of the questions are are that I'm receiving are are more pastoral questions, and I'm saying, well, I, I totally think that's legitimate, and I have all those conversations and. You know, for fear of <laughs> for fear of spilling beans, we're going to create opportunities and avenues for pastors to 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 have a landing space and, and ministry leaders, both women and men, to have a, a landing space. We're doing that, but this is for the everyday Black Christian. It's not just for the people to whom leaving has a different cost. This is for the people who who leave and don't know where to go, and don't have any prospects. And they're not just leaving a, a position, they're leaving a place of nourishment. They're leaving a local body. And so I, I think that's important because this, this frames everything. If you think this is about pastors and ministry leaders, and you think we're talking about someone else, not you, no, if you're a Black Christian, this you are included in this. You're like, I don't have a platform, nobody knows me, doesn't matter. This is, this is for you. And that's why we do what we do, not just for the people who are at the top. And so much of what we're talking about, just like one more thing to say on on this point, so much of what we're talking about is not about segregation. It's about centering. 
It's, it's yes. not about segregating. <laughs> it's about centering. Right. And, and there's a difference, yeah. right? There's, there's, there's a sense in which this concern about segregation is still very white centered. Yes, bro. Because it puts the sensibilities, the proclivities, the feelings of white people at the center or the forefront of the of the conversation, rather than talking about the impact on black people. Yeah, yeah. So this hand wringing about, oh, you're separating yourself from from the church. You're 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 engaging in you know reverse segregation or whatever kind of term you want to use. It's it's not about that, and even that framing is a way of keeping white people in the center of this conversation. What we should be doing, which is what you said before, Tyler, is 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 asking what is causing this exodus? What is causing this leave loud? And what must we do to make it right? And at the same time, asking what what about the the black Christians? What about why are they leaving? What has been the the harm caused? And for, for black Christians, it's not about, oh, we got to get away from these white people. It's about we need to have spaces where we are not always an afterthought. Hmm. We need to be in places yeah. where our priorities are actually prioritized, <laughs> hmm. yes, where, where, where our existential dread of police brutality is not a subject of debate. It's a given, and then we're moving on to what do we do about it? We need to be in places where certain preaching styles or modalities are not considered theologically inferior for whatever reason, but are honored and celebrated and resonate with us on a soul level, right? And that's not even exclusive per se. That's, that's our ethos at The Witness is that we want to be black centered if you can get down for that if you can get down with that there's space for you i know this is some hard stuff for folks like you can't come into this conversation raw or 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 as a beginner this is this is stuff that in the american understanding of race is far too advanced because the general understanding of racial dynamics is rudimentary and elementary and so the stuff we're saying is going to tick some people off if you're brand new to this. Yeah, it, it is. And, I, you know, I think, I think what's, what's important to say is, you know, this is about what is the word of the Lord for black Christians? And what has God said to us in this moment? And what is God saying to us in this moment? And I think it's something special, man. I think it's something... Uh, beautiful. And I think people perceive it as a threat. And so many gifts that Black Christians can give to the broader body of Christ, but really that Black Christians can give to one another are being missed because we perceive each other as a threat, or we are used to being perceived as threats, not just physically, but also theologically. You know, And so it's a lot of fear mongering that happens, especially for people like Jamar, um, for, for people like Ali, for myself, it's just a ton of a truce table, a ton of fear-mongering uh, because we're perceived as threats. But it's really about what is God saying to us in this moment? And what is the urgent message of the Spirit? And when deep cries out to deep, what do we hear? 
Um, and that's what I hope people get from Leave Loud. So there are a couple of questions that you know we want to kind of dial through. Um, I think we've talked about the why now part, but the second most question I think we get a ton is, are we saying black people have to, all black people have to leave? You know, people are like, oh no, but you know, you, you kind of get this, this kind of reflexive defense that happens. People are like, oh, well, do I have to leave? Do I have to go? I kind of like my situation, you know, what have you. And I, I think what we are saying is that there are, there are times when leaving is the only option. And if you are in a space where leaving is the only option, a place where you're, you, it, your flourishing is restricted, you are not allowed to be free and soul and body, that you have to adjust yourself um, to other people, that conversations about race and justice are, are few and far between. And if they are, they're not led by you, whatever it may be. Um, that's a time to leave. But we're not saying a blanket statement, all Black people should leave their church if it's majority white or if white people are in it. No, that's not what we're saying. Anything else you want to say to that, Jamar? Because I know there's a lot you can- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's what you said. What we're describing, our Leave Loud stories are not prescriptive, meaning it's not a prescription Mm -hmm. for everyone. It's Mm -hmm. our stories. It's our situation. We're describing our reasons for leaving loud. That is not prescriptive. Uh, for for everyone, it's not a mandate for every black Christian. I will say this though: 2021, as we record this, is not 2015 or 2011 or any other time. We've seen a lot. We've talked about this before in in the why now question. And so, what I would say to black Christians who are staying in these predominantly white Christian spaces: ask yourself why. Really ask yourself why, because I think some of the pushback, can we be real honest, Tyler? Is that okay? Yeah, bruh, you better go. (laughs) Just pass the mic. People know what they signed up for. I think some of the pushback from other black Christians is that voice in the back of their head saying, I might not should be here either, but I'm not (laughs) at a place where I can go. Oof. Are you hearing me? I'm just saying. I Last say this. Gasp. I say this because that was me. Yeah. I would look at other black Christians who had left these predominantly white spaces before I did, and there would be a tinge of defensiveness, right? Because I'm here, they've left. I can actually, on a sort of subconscious level, understand the truth and the reality of why they needed to leave and why that might apply to me, but I wasn't emotionally or mentally ready to make that shift. And so now I have to come up with defenses for why I stay, which may or may may not be legitimate. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just saying that's what my experience was. And I wonder if some other folks, you're hearing that voice saying it's time to leave and leave loud, but for whatever reason, it's it you just you haven't heeded that voice yet i don't i don't know but then yeah you have to sort of justify to yourself and enumerate the reasons why you stay and all i'm saying i'm not saying that's wrong or right all i'm saying is really interrogate why you're staying because here's it comes from a place of love i don't want you to shrink yourself 
Hmm. I don't want you to shrink the way you talk, the way you dress. I don't want you to shrink the volume of your conversation or your laughter. I don't want you to shrink your musical uh, proclivities or preferences. I don't want you to shrink your history or your culture or your commitment to your people or to justice. And any Christian community that makes you shrink those parts of yourselves, it's not healthy. It's unbiblical. Unbiblical. You should be able to bring your full self. This is what my hope and desire, aim and ambition is, is that any person of any race or ethnicity could walk into any Christian congregation and feel like they're home. Now, when you're home, you kick off your shoes, you let your hair down, you loosen your tie or whatever it is. And you can be fully yourself. You can take off the armor. What I don't want is for black Christians to go into the church and feel like they have to gear up for battle with their own people. Hmm. That should be your place of refreshing. That should be your place of energizing. That should be the place that is base camp, that equips you to go back out into various other contexts. And do spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. But that should not characterize the church on a week-to-week or day-to-day basis. That's why I say this. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us Written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter Grieve, Breathe, Receive Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. got to fight the enemy, not each other. And I think a lot of our, yeah, I think a lot of the reflexive, a lot of the lack of productivity in our calling is because we are constantly on in the background is this massaging of ourselves, our, our molding, we are molding ourselves in an image that a majority white context desires us to be made in and not walking in the image God created us to be. And so we are constantly molding and cutting off parts and removing things and, and not doing this and doing that and accepting this and not accepting that. And we're not able to flourish in our calling because so much energy is spent changing ourselves. When do you just want to be yourself? When do you just want to be who God created you to be? And what about who God created you to be is offensive? Why is it offensive? Who told you? Who taught you to age yourself? You know, just, I mean, this is an honest question. Like, who, who told you this, right? But yeah, so I think that's just an important thing that we have to consider. Another question that I get a lot of is, 
are we leaving Jesus loud? <laughs> are we yeah, leaving Jesus loud? Now listen, now listen, listen. I'm just I look. You put on my pastor hat here, yeah, okay. I put on my pastor hat. I'm not gonna hide it. We are talking about the white evangelical church and the church that in America has shaped so much of how we view ourselves and the person and work of Jesus. We are not talking about the brown-skinned Palestinian Jew from Nazareth. <laughs> we are not talking about the king with nails in his hands and his feet and a scar in his side. That's not who we leave in. He died for me. I'll stay. I'll live for him. He died for me. So I, <laughs> I ain't leaving Jesus. All right. That's not what this is about. This is about churches and institutions and spaces that don't present Jesus rightly. So this ain't about Jesus. It's about the people who are representing him in the wrong way. 100. Like, that's that. Yes. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's another one that I, I hear a lot. You know, are we giving up on white people? <laughs> what do you think, Jabbar? We give it up on on white folks. We are. This is my diplomatic answer. We are choosing to invest our time and energy in more fruitful endeavors. <laughs> That's <laughs> that boy running for office. That boy, he running. <laughs> Sprinting. No, I, I, I mean that in the sense that it is it is it is long past time that we try to convince white people that racism is real, that it is not just an issue of the past, but an ongoing problem in the present. It is long past time that we we try to convince people that systemic and institutional racism is real. It's long past the time when we try to point out everything that is missing when you say, just preach the gospel. Don't talk about all this race stuff. It's all of that stuff. And we've gone through that. We speak from experience. We engaged in what I call racial apologetics, which was trying to make the case about racism and why we should fight it yeah. to recalcitrant white Christians. And in so doing, we were missing our opportunity for our own flourishing. What I think Leap Loud is, is about a, 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 an ontological existential reclamation of the Imago Dei and people of African descent. Hmm. That is a mind, body, spirit absorbing endeavor on, to try yes. to clean off that mirror that white supremacy has clouded and cracked to see the true beauty of ourselves, not in ourselves, but as a reflection of our creator, right? So, so, so it's fundamentally a, pro a, a, a project of reclaiming our dignity. And we cannot do that at the same time as trying to convince people that they have dehumanized us and robbed us of dignity. Right. right. People who are trying to convince us that hasn't happened. It's not true, or maybe it was, but it's not true now. Look, you had a black black president. You got you had a, you know, a black denomination president. We got black people in our congregation or on the worship team or whatever, right? Like all the gaslighting. 
we can't do that forever. So are we giving up on white people? No. But as you said, we're giving up on re- trying to reclaim whiteness because it can't be reclaimed. So I'm going mm-hmm. to tee you up for that, alley you up for that. You know, I think it's so interesting when we start talking about racism, people start identifying with its reality. Whenever we start talking about leaving racism or confronting racism, people say, well, what are you saying to to white people? What are you saying to? And I'm like, so what are you saying (laughs) that if we leave racism and those who who wield it, that we're leaving white people? What does that say about the that that doesn't sound how you think it sounds. It sounds like you think the two are synonymous. Oh, are y'all leaving Jesus? Are you worshiping white Jesus? Or brown Jesus? Which one? What is the color of the Jesus you worship? What is the identification of the Jesus you worship that makes you think us exiting spaces that will not preach Jesus rightly and love their neighbor well means that all of the sudden, we're giving up on entire groups of people or Jesus himself. Where does that question come from? And so white people, as it has been constructed, of course can be redeemed by the grace of God. That is what we preach. It is what we believe. You can repent and be born again. Praise God for that reality. But whiteness is not white people. Whiteness is a demon that has to die. And the sword of the Lord is going to, the sword of the Lord is going to take care of that one. No, whiteness is something different. That is that is an ideology. That's a demon that has to die. We not no. We not trying to revive that. White people can be redeemed, repent and be born again. We believe that. That's the truth. If any man is caught in sin, let him repent. <laughs> if any person is caught in sin, let them repent. Let them be born again. Let them have the right relationship with God. Let the Holy Spirit work on their hearts. Praise God for that reality. But I think what people are are feeling is, oh, you're leaving whiteness. They're just not saying that. And I think we have to ask some more questions of the people who say that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be a fun little clip. Fun little clip for the the people to cut and paste. yeah. So let's talk about, is it theological, Jamar? Is it theological for people to leave loud? No, it's not, it's not theological for people to leave loud. What, what, what would you say? Leave loud? Where does the Bible say this? Where does the Bible show us this? Give me a book, chapter, and verse where anybody left loud because Jesus instructed them to. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Jesus mm-hmm. sends the disciples out two by two, tells them go Preach the gospel, perform miracles. But if they will not receive you, then shake the dust off your sandals as a testimony against them. Mm -hmm. So there is chapter and verse. There is precedent. Jesus talks all the time about hard-hearted people, stubborn people, whitewashed tombs, filthy Mm -hmm. sepulchers, all of this stuff, right? Like, that's real. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That didn't just apply to to hyper religious fundamentalist folks two thousand years ago. It's folks like that right now, mm-hmm. and as we go out and try to be the aroma of Christ, it's a stench to some. 
And Jesus makes very clear, look, and I think it's a way of dignifying and honoring the people who reject you because you're not trying to coerce them or drag them to a place where they don't want to be. If you're not ready to receive this message, I'm going to say it as persuasively as I can. I'm going to be as informed as I can. But it's, it's going to be real clear, real quickly, whether you are ready to at least begin a journey down this road of understanding what racial justice and solidarity looks like. But if you're not ready, I'm not going to force you to a place where you don't want to go and you're not ready to go. Mm-hmm. But it's That's also good. it also should cause us to reflect. This is why this is what I think so many white churches miss is when somebody leaves, whether it's a quiet exodus or they're leaving loud, does it cause introspection? Mm-hmm. Or is it good riddance? Or is it I hardly notice? Because mm-hmm. there's that last part as a testimony against them. That means you had chances, probably ample chances prior to someone leaving where you could have intervened in a positive way, where you could have listened, where you could have changed, where you could have acted. And because you didn't for so long, there are most of the black people I know who are leaving loud have endured and have been long suffering. And this leaving is a long time coming because they gave it everything they got. Mm-hmm. And you still wouldn't listen. So now, when these black folks leave, and you can listen to the stories on the podcast, you can read the stories in the news, churches, denominations, fellowships ought to be ashamed. Ought to be ashamed that that Jesus-loving folks, good, committed, faithful believers, didn't feel like there was space for them. Simply because they were black, or they're concerned about justice. That that's that's shameful to me. Yeah, I, I think so much of the <laughs> so much of these questions, you know, when we get them, I, I think a lot of these questions are asked in good faith. But you know, so much of these questions are a result of people not asking the next question. Okay, right? and so <laughs> the first question might be. You know, is there a book, chapter, and verse? The, the the next question is, okay, what is actually being said about the space if Black people have to exit it? Right? You, just, you have to keep asking questions. Come on. And I think we have a faith that doesn't ask enough questions. And we have an expression in the American church that stopped asking questions and then gets mad when other people start. Mm. Ask questions and keep asking them. And so... You know, it, it's just, it's it's kind of funny to me. You know, it's just ironic that the same people who say, what, you know, how are we going to do this? That, <laughs> you force people to, to leave. You are the same people who force people to block you, force people to mute you, force people to unfriend you because you don't listen. Like, why are y'all leaving loud? You don't listen. That's why. Your heart is hard. That's why. You are not hearing us. And so the only way we get your attention is to exit loudly and slamming the door. Oh, no, I can't believe you did. What do you think all those Zoom calls were about? What do you think the emails were about? Why have you been watching our Facebook and seeing that our comments are a dumpster fire? And then you're shocked when we leave the church. It's your leaders that are commenting on our post. 
Don't subtweet us. Check them. You got a church discipline process? Deal with racism. Thank you. That's what you want to do? Discipline racism. And then see what happens. But this is, I'm just like, what are y'all talking? What are y'all not paying attention? It's it it feels like this. It feels it's sometimes I'm like, what are you talking about? Why are people leaving? Do you think that we were just gonna stay and not say anything? And then after we said everything and you silenced us and you muted us and you told us to go back to Africa <laughs> and you talked about the politicians who look like us and you trashed our churches and you wouldn't you wouldn't let us play our music. And if you did, it's just so you can look good and you used us as sermon illustrations wow. and you commodified our tears. And you commodified our faces on your social and you're shocked you we leave? <laughs> what? Are you paying attention? I, 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 so, I, look, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just saying I no filters and I'm speaking I'm just too saying, much truth. Too much truth. Come on, come, come on, y'all. <laughs> I, I, I really just want to sit down and just say, come on. Ask my mom, my pastor's wondering why I'm leaving. Sit down and ask him the question. Or the question. Have you been paying attention? Do you know me? Are you familiar with what's going on in my heart? I gave you 10 books and then I never heard from you again. You said you were going to preach on it and then you didn't. You just quoted white people. Huh? <laughs> so, anyway, go ahead. We can even go further. It's not all about you, white Christian. Us leaving loud Look, is about what we need too. Look. It's about reclaiming and recovering our expansive Black Christian tradition, a tradition that in many ways has been denigrated, if not outright stolen from us. Uh, it is about the healing that we need to do that we simply cannot do in your predominantly white Christian space, because even if y'all are moving, you're not moving with a sense of urgency. You're not moving expeditiously. It's about our families, our children, the self-image they're going to grow up with, our spouses, and what they endure and experience aside from us. It's about knowing that what is predominantly Black and historically Black is good enough on its own merits and doesn't need white approval or white presence look, to be valuable. Look. Look, okay, I got to say this. I know our time is running short, but I got to say this. There is enough in our own tradition that honors and glorifies God and lifts up Jesus. We don't need a chaperone to tell us it's okay. Huh. We don't need some people to say, oh yeah, those are good people to read. Let me read that. Let me inspect it. The same mm -hmm. spirit that's in the same spirit of God that's in you is in us. And there is an expansive black Christian tradition that y'all, black Christians, you need to hear this. You don't have to go outside the tradition to be discipled, grow in understanding, expand. Say, well, I can't find this. That's, a, that's an issue of resources. That's an issue of the publishing industry. 
That's the issue of people in power only publishing the people they want. And we're going to change that. That's another thing. Okay. That's another 10 year project or five year project if Jamar actually does what he says he's going to do. But that's a whole <laughs> other issue. Okay. <laughs> what I'm saying is we have enough in our own tradition. It's just names you've never heard of. It's just names you don't listen to. It's just names that have been hidden from you. It's just names that the professors and the pastors didn't learn from. So all they give you is the people. They didn't do no extra work. They did, they did it for them. And they stayed in that bubble. And now they're telling you anybody outside of this bubble is heretical. Only because they weren't taught these people. So I'm just saying there's enough in our own tradition. We don't have to go outside and feel like we lacking some or we ashamed that, you know, we struggle with this and we don't really talk about that. That's not true. Just because you haven't heard it doesn't mean we don't. Mm. Okay. Look, one more question. Well, actually, two more questions. I'm going to just say this in passing because we don't do a whole episode on this. Is it just talking about leaving white evangelical churches? No. Black black churches have issues too. And we're going to talk about that later, okay? When you got to leave loud from your black church, okay? Now, last question. (laughs) Where do we go? And before I kick this to Jamar, I just want to say something. We're going to talk about where we go in a little bit. Jamar will say some things. We're going to talk about that. That's what the next month or so is going to be devoted to. What do we do with all this? But before you talk about where you go, I think we need to ask the question, how are you doing? Is your relationship with Jesus right? Do you need to go to therapy? Do you need to take a sabbatical? Do you need to just get away from always being in church just for ministry or just for production? Do you have bitterness in your heart that you need to ask God for forgiveness for? Do you need a break? Mm. Do you need to rest? Why are you trying to go to the next step automatically? I get the, I get the principle. You want to be under a church covering. You want to be a part of, part of a body of believers. Amen. Go find that. That's important. But can I say something else, though? You can find you a therapist, too. Find you a spiritual director, too. Find you some people who are on this same wave in your region or your area and start a group chat. Start a Zoom chat once a week. Get healed. Hmm. And as you're going, as you're leaving, find your healing. Don't just jump into another situation in a panic because you're like, well, if I leave this place, then I got to find somewhere else to go. What about if you find Jesus in the wilderness? Find Jesus in the, in the pain and the frustration of healing from the hurt. And then you can see clearly. Then you can talk about it. Get healed, y'all. Before we go anywhere, we got to make sure the contents and the constitution of our soul is right. So that's what I have to say about that. Jamar? That's a word, Pastor. I'll say this. Where do we go? Maybe the first question we should ask is where did we come from? And I don't mean Mm. the immediate context that we left. I mean, who are your people? Where did you come from? So in my study of history, it was soul satisfying. 
because I learned about the resilience, the joy, the creativity, the resistance of our people in a way that I'd never heard before, partly because they didn't want us to know. It wasn't the knowledge they thought was important or critical, or it was the knowledge they thought was too dangerous. And find out where'd you come from? Where'd you come from in terms of your history, your culture, your lineage, and also your Black Christian tradition and heritage? Because it goes back a long way. So I think part of figuring out where do we go is, is figuring out where'd we come from in a way that maybe we haven't done before. And then the last thing I'll say is where do we go? We're going not so much to a place, but to a person. Come on, bro. At the center of our religion is not a place, but a person. It's Jesus. Where do you go? You go to Jesus. And I say that, and it sounds cliche, but if everything we're saying is accurate about how Christ has been misrepresented, then we've got to find the Jesus of the Gospels. We got to find the Jesus that was prophesied about all the way back from Genesis 3.15, where it says the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. We got to find the Jesus who at some point in our lives spoke to us and said, come with me. Hmm. Take up your cross. Follow me. That's the Jesus we got to go to. It's not first and foremost a place, a, a, a church, a denomination, or whatever. I'm not devaluing community because I think we can find Jesus through community, through Christ's body on earth. But we have to focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ and divest from all this stuff that people have built up around and in front of Jesus that obscures our sight of Jesus. We got to deconstruct that. We got to get back to who this person is who loved us so much that he'd sacrifice his life for us, that he hmm. would stoop down from heaven to build a relationship with us. Hmm. And I think if we find that Jesus, that brown-skinned Palestinian Jewish man, the God man, we will have found our place. Hmm. The Jesus who found me when I was down and out. Yep. The Jesus who picked me up, turned me around, placed yes. my feet on solid ground. Yes. yes. The Jesus in my pain. The Jesus who found me in the midnight hour and gave me joy. Hey, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> yes. Ha. <sighs> Yeah, somebody ought to just Selah. anyway. This ain't this ain't this ain't church. Let me check. Woo! <laughs> oh, that's the Jesus, the Jesus that changed everything. Mm. We got to find that Jesus. Mm. Amen. It's a person. This leave loud, y'all. Leave loud. It's a word.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.